morning, everyone. And Merry Christmas to you early as uh, every year as we get to this stage of Christmas, we're taking this turn Monday tomorrow, starting a new week, heading toward Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I, uh, in my fleshly self, I think of two things, homemade tacos with homemade sauce on Christmas Eve and Christmas tree cinnamon bread on Christmas morning. So that's my confession to you this morning as we begin. Uh, obviously, we all have our stuff and, and a lot of fun around this season. I am glad you're here this morning uh, because uh, this is a unique message, and it's been so good for me, for my soul, to study this topic this morning. As you know, over the last three weeks, as we've talked through Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, We've learned about and celebrated a coming light, a coming child, a coming kingdom. And then this morning, we're going to take a look and unpack this subject of a coming peace. And now, I don't know about you, but even when I say the word peace, even when I sort of thought about it, felt like thousands of times over the last week, it felt weird. It felt weird and out of place because we live in a world where there is what? No peace. It, it felt like a Disney movie or some illusion or some dream, but it certainly didn't feel real. We are not living in a peaceful world. Just Friday morning got up on the, for the purpose of this talk and just glanced over the headlines of a newspaper. A global pandemic, job losses, school opening and closing, rage everywhere. There are 10 wars going on right now in the world. Opioid overdoses and suicides are skyrocketing. Divorce, physical, sexual abuse, sex trafficking, the celebration and promotion of transgenderism. Kids rebelling. These headlines are just routine. That's why saying the word peace felt so weird and out of place. The Bible says, though, in a lot of different ways and a lot of different places that the world that we live in knows nothing of peace. Part of the evidence of that, of what the Bible says, is in Isaiah 9, verse 5. In the passage we've been looking at, Isaiah writes, and I'll use the message just because it's more down the earth, this verse, 9, 5. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood, will be piled in a heap and burned, a fire that will burn for days. So here we have in the context of war and killing and conflict and no peace, it is Isaiah who writes about the Prince of Peace, this child that was born. So we could say, and Isaiah could say, that everything that has happened, is happening, and will happen is directly tied to this child, the birth of this baby. Isaiah tells us this is a baby, if you remember, with four names, wonderful counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, that that child that was born, that son that was given to you is singular, the Prince of Peace. So I propose to you, and I think Scripture proposes to us, and God proposes to us this truth. If we are to find peace, to have peace, to experience peace, it is to this child alone that we must go to, for there is no one else who can supply us peace. C.S. Lewis said such, God cannot give us peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing just this week. Like many of you, I received multiple Christmas cards with little sweet, sugary sentiments about peace. Yet the reality around me and in me says real peace is elusive. Real peace seems like a distant dream, or as one guy said, Peace is the brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. Yeah. And that's about as close as we come to having it. It's a virtue that everybody chases. It's probably the rarest of virtues in terms of experiencing but very few ever catch it. I imagine catching peace is like kept catching your breath after you breathe it in a cold morning. And it's gone. It is needed, certainly, between both neighbors and nations. And just for some facts here this morning, there's been 3,530 recorded years of civilization, and only in 286 of those have been spent without a war in the world. And at that, during that same period, over 8,000 peace treaties were broken. Matter of fact, if you go to our nation's capital now, Washington, D.C., has more peace monuments than you can count because we build one after each war. Man, it's, it's, look, it's no surprise that we can't get along with each other because we can't even get along with ourselves. Can you say amen to that? We don't live at peace with us. We are critical and full of self-shame. We're eat up with anxiety and insecurity. We don't like us. So how in the world can we expect to have peace with others? As always, as a Bible church, we are thankful, I am thankful, and hopefully you will be thankful that God has an opinion about peace. His word, there's 356 times in his word, this word peace is actually used. So I really do pray for us this morning, because it's been great for me, and Lord knows, the Lord knows I have lived a lot of my life with unpeace. Is that even a word? Okay, but it should be, all right? Because it describes what's inside of me. It's the ninth emotion, no peace. 
So let's start this morning. You know what I did not do? I forgot my Bible. I was so excited to preach. Give me Isaiah 9. Benji, can you open it for me, Benji? Oh, sure. I can't find. You got it already? You got it? Thank you, Mom. Gosh, Moses. I just wanted to, to seem transparent and vulnerable this morning and not be a perfect preacher. <laughs> I ain't got no Bible. Oh, Lord. Well, well I, I could have just said it to you from memory, but I decided not to. Oh, Lord. I have never done that. I've never done that. I feel very vulnerable. I have no peace now, for real. Right? <laughs> keep moving. Keep moving. Okay. Let me read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what we have here in Isaiah, as it says in your notes, is we have two promises and a name. Let's start with the name first. The Prince of Peace. It simply means the one who has all authority over anything concerning peace. Jesus, Isaiah is saying, is the source of peace. Jesus is the root of peace. And without him, there's simply no peace. If you go outside of Jesus to find it, anywhere, anytime, anyhow, you will not find it. It will be temporary and it will not be good for your soul. Colossians 2 backs this up. It talks about Jesus' authority. It says, he is the head over all, including peace. And then Isaiah gives us two promises, if you notice. The first one, two promises about peace. Verse 7, he says, and peace, there will be no end. This is what Monty talked about. When Jesus returns, there will be no end. There's an eternal peace. It will last forever and ever and ever. Handel had it right in the hallelujah. Hallelujah, chorus of Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then there's a second promise in verse 7, and I loved it. I don't think I had noticed it until this week. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Will, that's a promise. This is going to happen. There will be peace forevermore. This word zeal is translated jealousy in the Hebrew. God is jealous. This is a good jealousy. This is not a human jealousy. This is a perfect jealousy. He is, he's jealous for his, has a holy commitment to his own honor and glory that shows itself in the salvation of his people. Meaning, and we're going to talk about it later, that he is jealous for his own glory when he saves people. When he saves people, it takes away the war between God and man. Wayne Grudem defines it this way. God continually is seeking to protect his own honor and glory. So we have two promises and a name. Now, if you're like me, if I were sitting where you were sitting, and let's say Monty was preaching, I would say, Monty, that's great. That's great. I'm glad we got two promises. 
I'm glad we have eternal peace. I'm glad Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But, bro, that ain't doing nothing for me because I don't have any peace inside me. I got stuff going on in my life. I can't sleep. There's this gnawing tension inside of me. I'm eat up with worry and stress. And I believe that's true, but it sounds like because there are two names and a promise or two promises and a name that I'm not going to get to experience any peace until I die. You hear me? That's the question for us all. How do we get from the name, the Prince of Peace, to actually experiencing real peace in our lives? How do we get, put another way, how do we get from eternal peace, which I think we all believe to internal peace, where we are at least experiencing it or know how to access it in order to live differently than a non-Christian? I don't know if I want to answer that for you this morning. That is my goal. I hope I can and make it clear. I'm not saying experiencing peace is effortless or painless. It's not. But my goodness, folks, if we have learned anything, it is our ability to accumulate stuff, increase in knowledge, have big bank accounts, and we still can't find peace. Observation-wise, the lives of billionaires and celebrities tell us just that. There is no, there's no such peace. No matter how much you have, how smart you are, or how famous you are. But our tendency is to keep looking out there horizontally to find it. Whether it is in education, whether it is in money, whether it is in power, whether it is in popularity, whether it's in a pill, whether it's in a bottle, it's something and it doesn't work. One writer put it this way, those who are in the best circumstances but without Christ can never find peace. But those in the worst of circumstances with Christ need never lack it. That's what we're shooting for this morning. That no matter what circumstance we are, we don't have to live in internal turmoil. Oh, we will suffer. And it will be hard, but we can access peace. Here's what I said in your notes. Certainty in the Prince of Peace precipitates experiencing personal peace. Certainty in the Prince of Peace precipitates you and your ability to experience personal peace. And what I mean by that is certainty in what he has done, certainty in how he has done it, Certainty in what he is doing, certainty in who he is, and certainty in his accessibility. Those are the five points we're going to cover this morning. Blood peace, certainty in what he has done. Gospel peace, certainty in how he has done it. Change peace, certainty in what he is doing. Trust peace, certainly in who he is, and in prayer peace, certainty in his accessibility from us to him. It's the only thing I know to give you because it is primarily what the Bible gives us. 
My list could have been 50, 75, 100 long, but these are the core five for you and I to be able to access peace. Put it another way, the more we are convinced in him, the more truth about eternal peace would cascade down to us so we can have internal peace. So as we go there, let me light this candle for us as we've celebrated our Advent and as we unpack this rare but needed virtue of peace. Let me start by just defining for us the word peace. The Hebrew term for peace is the word shalom. Many of us have heard that. It means to be safe, sound. This is crucial here, whole and complete. It's a strong sense of well-being and rest. It also, and this is in your notes, includes the idea of vigor and vitality in all of life. Shalom speaks holistically of holistic health for our soul. Shalom is what God meant the world to be before sin entered in Genesis 3. So we get a picture there where the world is not as it was meant to be. It was meant to be shalom, comprehensively, whole, complete. James Montgomery Boyce, an excellent theologian, put it this way. The Lord is the source of all real peace. Peace is the greatest need of every human heart. And that is why the word shalom is huge in meaning. When people define shalom, it's hard to define because it, it, it means everything. It's comprehensive. Shalom, he said, encompasses all the good that comes to the one God favors. And when you read that, if you're... If you're alert and thinking, your next question should be, who is the one God favors? Is it, is it them? <laughs> is it them? Can't be me. Maybe it's how we think. No, no, no. This is what I want to tell you this morning. If you know Christ... If you've placed your trust in Christ, you are the one that God favors. And I don't care how sinful you are. I don't care where you're struggling in sin. I'm telling you, you have been favored because he moved toward you. We're going to talk about that. We're going to shine a spotlight this morning on all the good that comes to the one God favors. Let's take a look. First one, ready? Blood peace. Comes from Colossians 1, 19 through 22. Let me read it for you. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, because you're favored, present you now holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So if you look back a couple of verses in Colossians 1 and 15, 
or, or before 15, what Paul is doing is he's, he's introducing to us Jesus. And he says this about Jesus, the image of the invisible God, all things created by him in heaven and on earth, created through him and for him and in him and all things hold together. Now look, just reading that little introduction, if we're hearing it correctly, should make us all take a deep breath. We should lose some anxiety. So someone's in control. It's not me. It doesn't have to be me. It is Jesus. I can trust him. Does that make sense? So even that reduces anxiety and brings peace. But there's lots more here, and I want to focus quickly. I can't do a deep dive this morning, but I hope you can go back and do one. I want to focus on two words. The first is alienated. Paul says, you who were once alienated, separated from God. Paul says, puts it in other terms in Ephesians and other places. He uses phrases to describe you and I before Christ. We were enemies of God or at war with God. There was no peace between us and God. We were spiritual orphans. And then later in Colossians 1, right in our passage I read, Paul says you were actually hostile in mind toward God, which means we, we don't even consider him. When you're hostile toward someone, you don't consider them to be the ones you go to to get an answer. The writer of Ecclesiastes confirms this hostility toward God. And I'm thankful for his honesty, but his honesty is really a picture of all of us. The writer of Ecclesiastes says he was on a search for what? You read Ecclesiastes. A search for peace, and he chased after it without even thinking about or considering God to be the source of peace. He tried to unravel the riddle of life by looking at only what was out there horizontally. And he tried it all, and he bought it all, and he drank it all, and he smoked it all, and he... And by looking also inside himself. This kind of hostility toward God left him restless, read it, frustrated, tired, and confused. Pleasure actually caused him more pain. More stuff made him depressed. He lived what I would say the American dream before there ever was an America to live in. And, and, and here's... The sad part, this is the hostility in mind. No one believed him then that he found no peace. <laughs> and no one believes him now. Hostility in mind means that all, that all we bring to the table is this certainty that somehow in my search for peace, I can work it out. I'll figure it out. I'll fix it. It's called Jeffism. Or Austinism. It's, it's a, our own religion where we're the God. And look, I hope you're relating because we've all done that. <laughs> right? We've all somehow sort of gone at it in that way. So alienation, the spiritual, is the spiritual condition of man when the Prince of Peace uh, is born. There's two words, second words, reconcile though. It's the opposite of 
being alienated or reconciliation. The Prince of Peace shows us his holy character to those that hate him and have no thought of him and initiates, Paul says in Colossians 1, he initiates this movement to a cross to propitiate, which is just a fancy word, to satisfy God's wrath toward us by taking that said wrath upon himself. He didn't take God's wrath and just remove it and throw it in a lake somewhere. He actually took God's wrath toward us who were alienated and hostile in mind. He took that wrath that we deserve and he placed it on himself. Paul says in doing so, that word in Colossians 1 is he reconciles us to God. Or another way to put that is that we were once enemies and now we have become his friend, a friend of the living God, one that God favors. And it was his initiative, not yours, because in all our searching and looking for peace, the last thing we were looking for was God. Oh, we were looking for him, but we didn't know we were looking for him. And then God shows up. And then this is the haymaker, verse 20. When he reconciles us, he says, <laughs> he makes peace with us by the blood of his cross. And then verse 22, it just keeps getting better. It presents us holy because that blood is covering us. It presents you and I holy and blameless, above reproach before God. That's called a justified sinner. Justified, just as if I've never sinned and just as if as I've always done what's right. That is God's declaration, positional declaration of me as a born-again Christ follower. Are you favored? If you know Christ, you are that favored one. John Owen puts it this way. How great is the darkness of men who seek any other way for peace with God except through the blood of Christ. So we got this blood peace. This blood peace settles, or settles not a good word, it, it removes, it it. it it, it eradicates this war that is between God and man, between you and God, before you know Christ. And then secondly, we have this gospel piece. Ephesians 6, 1, 6, 15. It says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet. One version says, shod your feet with shoes, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, Paul here is talking to believers, and the context is that we, we as Christians are what I just talked about. We're no longer at war with God, but now we are in a war, but we're in war with an invisible but real enemy, one that we used to be aligned with before we actually came to Christ. We're at war with him now. 
Satan and the domain of darkness. And Paul says, since we have come to Christ, we now have spiritual weapons to fight this invisible but real spiritual battle. Paul uses the imagery of a Roman soldier and all of his hardware and weapons that he wore to write. And he writes about a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, and then he says, shod your feet with shoes. Paul calls these gospel shoes. Gospel shoes have cleats. Anybody been an athlete here, wore cleats? You don't have cleats, you fall down. Gospel shoes have cleats on them so that when the evil one attacks you with doubt and shame and condemnation and confusion and questions, does God care and where is your God now? And you'll have firm footing to fight back with the great weapon of the gospel to stand firm. Yeah, you have blood peace. And that blood peace makes it possible to access actual peace with God. If Satan, this is what he knows, cannot take away your eternal peace, and if you know Christ, he cannot, he certainly wants to do all he can to disrupt your here and now internal peace. Paul says the key to that is gospel shoes so you can stand firm and you begin to preach the gospel to yourself and to him. Look, when these attacks happen, now if they happen, there ain't no time for no Michael Jackson slip and slides, Right? We, the, the, these are gospel shoes because we can stand firm, we can look Satan in the eye, and we can say with our bad to the bone gospel shoes on, we can preach the gospel to ourselves. Things like, if God loved me enough to sacrifice his son's life for me, then he is guided by that same love in his dealing with me. That's preaching the gospel to yourself. That's, that brings peace. Things like, this is what we preach with gospel shoes on. The gospel cures me of my suspicion of God. Gospel shoes preaching. The gospel slays the sin in me because it frees me from sin's guilt. The gospel says to rest in my right standing with God that Christ has accomplished. Gospel shoes preaching says the gospel frees me from earning my way with God so that I can instead enjoy him and his grace to me. These gospel shoes are straight up preaching shoes and you're the preacher. And when we preach the gospel as ourselves, the result of that, folks, is an internal peace that just is mind-blowing. It's actually the divine pattern for you to experience real peace. You can go to, Paul did it, Ephesians 1 through 3 chapters, Colossians 1 and 2, Romans 1 through 11. All that is gospel preaching. Thirdly, there's this change piece, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. 
So we saw in blood peace, in gospel peace, that God has indeed justified us and he has given us a blood-soaked ticket to eternity in heaven with him. But here's the reality. The rest of our time on earth isn't about salvation. It is about sanctification. It isn't about this process of you and I becoming like Christ to grow, to mature, to look more like Christ in all we do. The God of peace, or may we say the God who was once your enemy and is now your friend, the God who was at war with you but now has made eternal peace with you, here's what Paul's saying, is sanctifying you or is at work in you through every single thing that happens in your life. To, to, to have a gospel mindset, this change peace, that God is changing me and using everything in my life that it's just not randomly happened to me. You get that? That he didn't nap and all of a sudden you got some kind of disease. Now look, I'm preaching it. There will be a day where I will have to apply my preaching to me. You're not random. He knows. He's allowing it. And he's working because he is turning you into Christ. The Prince of Peace so loves me and cares for me that he wants me to make him, make me like him. R.C. Sproul's put it this way. If there's no sanctification, it means that there was never any justification so here's what you do. Take a deep breath with me. In, well, don't breathe. Uh-uh. We got a virus going around. All right, just hold your breath. Thought about that. But it does make me emotionally take a deep breath and wallow in his sanctifying care for me. I got to be able to access that. If I can't access that, I will have no peace. Fourthly, trust peace. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So we come back to the prophet Isaiah, and we see in Isaiah 9 that he is talking about an eternal peace, eternal but here in Isaiah 26, he's talking about an internal peace. That allows a person to be at peace with himself, God, and others. Here's how Charles Swindoll summarizes this verse. It is a frame of mind that is being supported as a result of leaning on the rock. Not a rock, not rocks, but the what? rock. And God is that rock. The phrase perfect peace actually translated as peace, peace. It's double peace. Unending security, rest, and calmness. The idea here is that we abandon every other crutch, and we've had a lot of them, 
that we could lean on and try to find peace. And we literally place all of our anxiety and circumstances on the one who can support you, the only one, God the rock. That's the thought here. If I'm hiking in the mountains of Tennessee and I'm on a cliff and there's a giant boulder, I have no problem leaning on that rock to rest. That's the picture. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, it can take, I, it can take me, my arrogant, hard-headed self, a while to get there in the midst of my turmoil, my anxiety, my worry, my pain and suffering. But once I get there, it is an ugly but beautiful picture. It is ugly in the sense that I throw myself on my knees, on my face. I throw myself on the rock. And I weep, and I grieve, and I cry out, and I worship, and I plead. And something happens in that. When I've given up and throw myself on the rock, something happens where I'm able to get up and wipe my tears and walk away with some resemblance of what? Peace. Been there? Yeah. Lastly, prayer peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and James 5, 16. Philippians 4, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then James 5, 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's the word. You may be, a message says heal and whole. There's the word, peace. Two things. One, Philippians 4 basically tells us if you can worry, which we can, we can pray. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. James 5.16, I want to focus here. He says, confess your sins to one another. It could be confess your struggles, confess your fears. Not that those are sin necessarily, but there's a confession part here. There's a transparency part. There's, there's what's been happening in our text that we get from you as we pray for you is you are being transparent about things that are burdening you. James said, that's crucial. And then the second thing he says is to when a person does that, a brother or sister opens their chest and lays out before you, i.e., why they're not having peace, it gives you a command to pray for that said brother or sister. Did you notice that? Folks, There is this must be the most important thing I say all morning. There is something incredible when I've been in incredible turmoil and a Monty Waldron or Art Snow or Phil Herndon or Tim Jones or Jim Pittman lay their hands on me and say, can I pray for you, brother? <sighs> yeah, there's something. That's what James is talking about here. <laughs> you can't pray for people when they're not transparent with you. And that's maybe one of our biggest problems. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Sounds like you're from New York. We're not doing good. And the text coming in each week during our prayer time shows us that. 
and that's okay. Folks, you've got to get somebody and grab them and say, this is what's going on. Will you pray for me, brother or sister? Lastly, as I close up, there's one denominator. There's one common denominator in being able to experience God's peace, to access the truth of God, which is really a representation of the peace of God because it comes from the Prince of Peace, and that is you must know the Word of God. <laughs> if you don't know it, you ain't got nothing to access. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about to know it in such a way that you're in it daily, that when all this non-peace happens in a thousand different ways, you can access it. And sometimes we get to such dark places that we can't access it, and we must ask a brother or sister to access it for us on our behalf. I spoke with, I spoke with a friend yesterday, 55. He's been my friend for 30 years. A year ago, he got diagnosed with ALS. He's dying. He said, Pete, man, how you doing? He said, I'm doing, I'm doing better than I ever have. I said, tell me why. He said, I'm speaking on peace tomorrow. Tell me why you're doing better. And you're, you're a dead man within a year. Can't walk. Can hardly talk. Can't breathe on his own. His body is deteriorated. He's 55. He has four grandkids. He has four kids. His 80-year-old father-in-law is taking care of him. He said, when this first happened, I just, I went dark. And I was mad at God. And I cut him out. I'm done with him. This is a solid believer. But he got in a dark place. I hope you're empathetic to what he's saying. This summer, after being in a dark place for months, he picked up the scriptures. This is from his words. And he read the whole New Testament over a month. Now he started to weep on the phone. And he can't talk already. So I was listening close. He said, I experienced so much peace. I am ready to meet Jesus. I'm sad, but I am at total peace. That when the Bible says that it can, God can give you peace that surpasses all understanding, the source of it is the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace is synonymous with the word of the Prince of Peace and the brothers and sisters in Christ of the Prince of Peace. I want peace. Anybody else want peace? It is available to us, but it is not effortless and it is not painless. As we wrap up this morning, I want to call the elders up. I want to mention two things. One, as an application, we've had an application for you, a wreath, encouraging notes. The application this week is to do 
a meal together. Doesn't have to be a fancy meal, but to do a meal together. And in doing a meal together, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to ask those you love most, right, over a meal. What's meant most to you about this Advent series, right? We've had uh, four comings. Read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. And then ask them, ask them, what areas do you need to pray? Let everybody share something. I need to pray for you. I need peace in this area. Conversational, honest, no shame. And then lay your hands on them and pray that the God of peace would bring them peace. A meal and a peace conversation and a prayer peace. Sound good? Plan it this week. For the rest of you here this morning, get your phones out. There's a number I want you to text. And um, we're going to do like we've done every week. Uh, and again, the same as for us. There are areas in your life that you are full of anxiety and turmoil and tension and pain and suffering and worry. And it's hard. We want you to text those to us. Areas that you need peace. And let us pray for you. To pray for one another. And you pray for these things as we bring them up as well together as a body so let's go ahead and begin and Monty won't you start us okay and by the way if you're online we'd love for you to text in as well father in heaven someone here has just uh, confessed uh, to feelings of inadequacy and man can we all relate to that Lord we agree we say to you we are deficient we are insecure we are truly inadequate to live life well without you and so I want to pray for this person in particular but Lord for all of us would we rest in the sufficiency of Christ he is everything we will ever need. He is perfect, holy, righteous, and good. I pray that this one who has asked, but again for all of us, that we would fall on Christ and his sufficiency in our great need. Lord, there's one who as for prayer for marriage and if anything is under attack it is that that you have instituted so I pray for marriages across our body really across the world that uh, the peace that truly does pass all understanding how two people can be united in one flesh is a miracle and, uh, so I pray that this uh, one flesh relationship that this one has texted in today would be restored be replenished be undergirded by your word and by your comfort and by your ability to bring hearts back together. So I pray for peace amidst marital stress today. Lord, there's someone here who's prayed for physical peace, healing of pain in their body. And certainly uh, we, can, we can feel that. We've all had times 
that and some have endured long periods of time and Lord I pray for this individual I pray that peace would come over their hearts and that you might grant them healing from their pain that they're experiencing and um, that you might grant them relief it's um it's tiring and it's um it's just a long battle and um having been through that in my family lord i know that you can provide peace in the midst of the struggle and that in our hearts that we can truly feel that you are with us and that you love us and um, may your word remind us that um, the truth the truth is that you are with us and um, that you might grant this individual peace in their heart even as the, the struggle um, might continue but we do pray Lord that you would meet them here that you would grant them relief and grant them wisdom as they navigate this reality of their life right now and that you might point them in a good direction. Lord, we pray for this person at work. They want peace at work in the sense that, uh, Lord, help them to see their work as a ministry, to see your sovereign hand has placed them there for a purpose more than a paycheck. Help them to get the perspective that you have dropped them behind enemy lines as a ministry and uh, that you would use them at work. Give them a real peace and con confirmation that this is, this is where you're not asleep. This is where you have them. And in having them there, Lord, they would, they would be glad and grateful and thankful, not only for a job, but an opportunity to be around those who don't know you. They may be used by you to share about the Prince of Peace. Pray for that person, even today. Lord, someone has uh, mentioned that they feel unworthy. Once again, uh, Lord, I can so identify with that. I can give you a thousand reasons why you should never love a guy like me. I'm so grateful that while I was still a sinner, when I was an enemy of God, Christ died for me. And Christ died for this person. Christ died for everyone in the sound of my voice. So Lord, I pray that you would, as, as you so gladly do, that you would lavish grace upon grace to this person. And that they would find their worth and their value, not in their performance, but they would find it in the perfect, righteous performance of Christ. And they would gladly point to him and be full of gratitude because he is the real measure of their worth and their value. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your son. Lord, there's one who is in the throes of depression. And, uh, the uh, devastation of that condition is uh, well documented, well written about, and to experience it at a deep level is uh, far different than reading about it or knowing about it. So I pray for this one who has, uh, who is suffering now, and who has suffered under the crushing weight and burden of depression to, to the point of 
harming themselves. And I, Lord, I pray for this one that uh, they would begin to see um, your presence and your movement in them to move them from this place of shutdown and depressing of their hearts and passion that they would come alive again in recognition of your presence in their hearts where uh, the enemy loves to plant and place and stab and pierce. I pray that this one would, even with the sending of this text, would begin to emerge and to recognize that you are calling them uh, to more. And you offer eternally more to them. So I pray they would continue their movement and continue reaching for you and would accept help from those extended to them as well. This depression shackles could be broken in their lives. There's a prayer here of a parent asking for peace that God has their children, that God, that you have their children in your hands and that um, that might grant them peace, that the worry that they have for their children um, might be um, calmed. Lord, you, as parents, we, we confess that we we worry over our children and your word has told us that we are to bring our anxieties to you, our worries to you. Jeff spoke of it this morning and there is a peace that passes understanding um, that will come to us. I'm grateful for this parent who's reached out and has said, join me in this. And um, probably all of the parents here that can hear that know that feeling. And Lord, might we be, might we be reminded that um, there is no worry, there is no anxiety that is outside of your ability to care for and that you might grant us the true peace even as we think about stressful situations and worries around our children. Um, I pray, Lord, that you might grant us peace in the middle of those things and that we might trust you in the sense that you love our children and you care for them in ways that we cannot ever we could not ever fully understand that you are with them and you love them. Stand with me this morning as we close. Lord Jesus, we access your throne of grace through the shed blood that we spoke of this morning that has brokered a peace deal between us and you. We are so grateful to that. We praise you for that, that we are presented because of that, that war is over as blameless before you, as perfect before you, not in actuality, but positionally. It's the only way we can have access to you is to be holy like you're holy. We've been declared righteous in Christ. I pray, Lord, it would be that place, that starting place that would have that would in some way spread out and cascade down upon us as we live our daily lives. I pray for me, I pray for our elders, I pray for our body, that we would know your word in such a way that when worry, anxiety, conflict, struggle, enmity between friends and Lord, I pray we can access your scriptures and apply it to our own hearts. Pray, Lord, in light of that, that you'd make us peacemakers. 
that where we go, work, home, neighborhood, neighbors, kin folks, mother-in-laws, <laughs> Lord, you give us, we'd be peacemakers because the Prince of Peace is alive in us. And we would give away what you have given us, peace, this side of heaven until you return. We ask that maybe as hard as we've asked for anything in this church. It is so needed. Thank you for your word. We love you. We're glad the Prince of Peace was born. And everyone said...